And I said, you mean the cathedral in Paris? And he said, yeah, the Notre Dame Cathedral is on fire. And I was like, I had no idea. So then I flip over my phone because, again, I'm a good Christian, and I try to pay attention during conversations. And I don't text you while I'm talking to other people. That's in the Bible. So I look at my phone, and I have like four texts from Kelly saying, Steve, it's on fire. It's on fire good. They're not going to be able to get this out. And I don't know if you all saw it and. You know, we have a short throw projector here with all the stained glass lights. Sometimes it's hard to see, but that fire was massive, almost destroyed everything in the building, but the walls on the outside, it was an amazing fire. It was so difficult to reach that, you know, they couldn't extinguish it. And in the carnage of the aftermath of that fire, it was interesting because all the media and people surrounding it treated as if somebody actually died. It was as if there was a death in the family because a building burnt down. Now I'll admit that uh, we've been to Paris twice because we're those type of people. We're, we're jet setters, like you want to be with us. Actually, we do it on the cheap. So I don't, I always hate to say that, Larry, like, you know, I've been to Paris twice. Okay, you've been zero? Yeah, twice as much as you, loser. No. This is not going well. I need to come back into it. The reason I say that is that one of the most amazing experiences I had was sitting in the Cathedral of Notre Dame for an hour while my wife and daughter were elsewhere. And as we sat there, just having this experience of, wow, this is just such an amazing building. It took hundreds of years to build. The people that were involved in the foundations died and were in the grave over a century and never saw the fruition of the work that they performed. Why do you do that, right? Why do you say, hey, I'm going to take my life, I'm going to dedicate it to this thing that I've never seen, and that is because there is something transformational about sacred spaces, Sacred spaces, places where you think that this is holy ground. A few years ago, as I was doing studies um, in our town here, there's actually a Jewish seminary. It's the Hebrew Union College, which is over on the other side of the University of Cincinnati. Um, And they offer these community courses. So it's like non-credit courses. And because I have very few hobbies that are productive, I actually enrolled in some of these courses, you know, because in my free time, I want to listen to rabbinical students read their dissertations. Like, basically, that was it. But I did enroll in a course that a rabbinical student was teaching about sacred space. I found that interesting because from that Judaic perspective, in the Old Testament, there's a lot that's said about sacred spaces, and often we as Christians don't think about it. Now, I thought about it a lot when we were vacationing for the second time, Larry, in Europe, I'm so out of touch. My west side roots are gone. I don't know why. But we had a chance to see some amazing places. Saw Notre Dame before. This is in France too. Underrated soccer core. Beautiful on the outside. Less impressive on the inside, but amazing. You have to watch the gypsies there. And I don't say that in a derogatory sense, but seriously, Google gypsies and soccer core. It's a thing. American don't have gypsies problems. This is not going well. We saw the Berlin Cathedral, and Johannes, as we were there, I did not get Bonanza coffee, so I'm sorry. Johannes is like, you know, where should we go? There's a cathedral, and there's a really good coffee place, and we didn't get the coffee place, but we went into the Berlin Cathedral, which was destroyed in the Second World War, 
mostly, and it was rebuilt, and it's probably, and I've been to a lot of old churches because I love them. This was probably the most impressive one. It, it, it had a pipe organ that was almost two stories high. And I'll tell you, one of the things about our older building here, as you see this pipe organ back here, it's not real. So you're like, oh, I love the, like the organ's real. It's behind here. None of us can play it. If you can play it, you should join the church. We'll slot you in. But these pipes right here are all completely decorative. They're pieces of aluminum spray painted gold. We didn't do this, by the way. I know I killed some of you. Like, this is the worst church ever. Now we're leaving. It's a fake pipe organ. You can go in the back and you can, if you squeeze through it, there's all these pipes that make the sound. The reason that they make it is because an actual pipe organ, like those are not decorative. Those are real. And as a result, it costs much, much more. It's, it, it emits, while we were there, the organist was practicing for Sunday service. It was an amazing sound to sit in this old church and to hear a pipe organ blazing, I got emotional in a church that really had little significance today. I'll come back to that because we also saw, because I'm just, basically this sermon is an excuse to show you my vacation photos. We also saw St. Paul's Cathedral, if you're familiar with St. Paul's, maybe from Mary Poppins. This is where the Tuppins song happens on the steps of St. Paul's. You know, I'm... I'm culturally relevant. You're like, okay, at least I know Mary Poppins. Old church was built after a fire ravaged London and they were looking to replant the city. And the first thing that Christopher Wren, the architect said is that we need to have a magnificent church. And I will tell you, it was absolutely magnificent. It had a dome. And as you walked in, you looked up to it. And you know, by the way, this is a long exposure tripod photograph of it. Yeah, Shante, I see you. You're like, how did he get that picture? My pictures are blurry. Use a tripod on vacation. You don't look like a tourist at all. But the thing about this, as you walked in, what happened is your eyes immediately started to ascend up and this is one of the aspects of sacred spaces over the last few centuries is that church buildings were designed with high roofs to make us move out of our parallel vision with the earth and to move up in a way to address something that's greater than yourself. One of the things, if this is your first or second time at Echo, you don't see a lot of buildings like this anymore. You don't see a lot of churches worshiping in it. And one of the blessings that we have to rent this facility is that we are surrounded in this space that was designed almost 150 years ago to take people out of the ordinary and make them feel something different. And now that's more so than ever, right? Like as much as you might be done with me preaching right here, you're like, well, at least I can look at some stained glass and some old wood. It's aesthetically pleasing. That's what sacred spaces are designed to do. While we were gone, we had the, the opportunity to meet with some missionaries that we at Echo support. We also were in Poland. That was the main reason why we were there. We support two different missionaries in Poland. And one of our missionaries is actually involved in a new church plant. Like the church is so new, like they were excited. The first, like the Sunday that we were there, they have a new Facebook page because they've, they've never had a Facebook page. So you can find this church on Facebook. Good luck if you don't know Polish or you can take, that's the name of the church which is, <laughs> it's Jesus' church. That's what that means. 
Villanov is the last word. The W's are V's. It's just confusing. It wasn't Villanov. It was a beautiful, but this community was not how we, you know, we sometimes picture, you know, that old Europe. This was actually in a suburban area they started it, just 10 minutes from town, but everything was brand new. It's one of the fastest growing communities in Warsaw. So this group came together and said, let's start a church here. But they had little options in which to meet in, except for the Premier Inn Hotel, which I couldn't get a good picture of it, so I took this from the hotel website on the left. It was a rectangular room painted in completely white, and it just looked like your generic conference room, right? Like, had plastic chairs, the ceiling was maybe 10 foot, and there were about 90 people in that room, and it's very interesting as you're sitting in the middle of a worship service where you're like, I don't know what these people are saying, What was interesting is that the one thing that we could tell through the music is that I believe they played the same song that we sang here right before I got up here, What a Beautiful Name It Is, in Polish. So I'm like, I know what they're singing. I don't understand the words. And then, because they were not that smart, they asked me to come up and share. And you can see David, who's our missionary, he was translating for him. And you can see that, number one, my hand gestures don't translate easily. And number two... Um, I'm as confusing whether or not I'm just talking in one language or in multiple languages. But here's the thing. In that hotel lobby, I was more struck spiritually by where I was than when I was any, in any of the cathedrals that I had been in previously in the week. Why is that? Why do I feel that way? It's because it comes down to sacred spaces That's what I want to talk about this morning, is how God puts you and I in places sometimes that changes who we are. It transforms us for the better. It allows us to take pause from the rest of the chaos in our lives and to think, what is God doing in me right now? And there's value to those spaces. But the thing is, whereas we sometimes think that the spaces themselves are extraordinary, sometimes they're not as much as we think. So part of my job, I don't know if you know this, is that I actually uh, am a financier. I work with a, a company, and we actually lend money to churches. So I'm in church buildings all the time, like in these cathedrals in, in churches across America. And as I look at that, there's generally two different ways that people approach church buildings. And I would say the first is, on the spectrum, a timelessness. Is that there's some places where you walk in and you're like, oh, this building was supposed to stand for a long time. That's this building right here. And I don't know if you know this. Our Echo Church rents this building from a, a daycare that makes their headquarters here. And before them, the church that met in here, it was a Methodist church, were unable to pay the bills, so they actually sold it to the daycare. And now it's a great, the CELC is one of the premier early learning centers in in the city of Cincinnati. But the reason that we're in this room is that they just had no use for this space. So this space sat empty, but the one thing that the CELC is committed to doing is trying to help keep this building afloat. They see it as some sort of architectural value. And that's why these cathedrals in Europe have this great value because there's a timelessness to it. 
It's interesting with Notre Dame's fire, the government of France is looking to try to rebuild that. Notice not the church, the, the church that actually inhabits, but the government because there's something about that space that impacts not only people of faith, but those without. If you go to any of these old cathedrals, you're walking past Asian tourists with selfie sticks. And I only bring up Asians because there has been, I read an article about this, there's been an influx of Chinese immigrants that has gone 25 times since the year 2000. So it's like everywhere you go now, because the Chinese have the freedom to move, these sites are being inundated. And as they go, even though there is no faith connection to the site, they're going to the sites and they're taking dozens and dozens of pictures because even they know that there's something about the building. You know, I, I think about that just displayed is that one of the unknown secrets, and again, showing my vacation pictures, but this was an old one, but on the, like right near Notre Dame is probably the most amazing room that I've ever been in. And it's the chapel at St. Chapelle. And basically, you know, the way they designed it was with arches so that there's stained glass around the entire room. Like it's the most amazing room I've ever dealt with, that I've ever been in. And why was it amazing? It's because when it was constructed, they didn't think, hey, this is just going to last a short time. This is going to be something that transcends our lifetimes. It's going to provide meaning to people more than just a building ought to. See, that's usually today, especially we Americans, how we view buildings, especially church buildings. We view it within this realm of utility, right? Is it useful? How does it work? Because we're Americans and we're efficient and we want to make sure that we are investing in something that we're going to get the best value of it. And as much as there was value 150 years ago in creating buildings with stained glass, I will tell you, by the way, we met in an older church building down the street that had better stained glass than this. This is very utilitarian stained glass, but they still put the stained glass in, number one, because they actually built this building before electric. That's why these lights stick out awkwardly like this, even though you're like, oh, that's just beautiful, they designed it. No, this building predates electric. They needed light to come in, but they picked stained glass as their methodology by which to get light in, right? Smaller little cubes. But this is even utility stained glass because this was a good American church back 150 years ago, right? So even though this for us is a beautiful building today, this is not a gaudy church building. This was more about utility. And today, utility takes the cake. When I go and talk to churches today, almost all the churches that are buildings that I go in are some configuration. I don't know if you can see this, but it's just like a rectangle room with chairs and sometimes they're cushioned, which are the best. And then they are able to create mood through what the industry calls AVL, audio, video, and lighting. So basically, churches now have said, hey, we don't need to build the rooms. We can just have the technology that creates the environment. And then, you know, how I'm going to do is that when a song is supposed to make you feel thoughtful, I pull in the blue light. And then I tell my drummer, take it down a notch, right? Like, I manipulate the environment because the overarching theme is, is I want it to work. I'm looking for utility, okay? Now, I'm not just pulling out stuff from my job just to show you, like, okay, I understand church building because I think there's a lot at work here. What we have to ask ourselves is, what is sacred space? And biblically, what is it designed for me and you to do? So when we come into a building like this, what should it do for you and me? So 
I look to the scripture, specifically the Old Testament, because the best that we have there is to look at the construction of the temple by King Solomon from 1 Kings chapter 6 through 8. Now, I'm not going to go through all of that. And I was going to say, I encourage you, like, hey, go and read it later. But if I'm really being on it, just don't go read it later because you're going to be like, this is in the Bible because it's basically architectural blueprints mostly for five, six chapter or four or five chapters. And you're like, when you start to read into it, you're like, why is this in the Bible? And I'll tell you is that I think it is there actually purposefully. And I hope to explain that to you in the Cliff's Notes version. Three things I want to explain to you about what makes a space truly truly sacred. And the first is beauty. And that's something, again, that we Americans, we like, but we do not put a premium on it, right? So it's like, I appreciate the beauty that exists. I like to go to the zoo and see the peacocks, who I think have been wrangled in, so you can't even see a good peacock at the zoo anymore. But I like to see beauty. But if I'm going to create that, I need to match that with a budget, Right, So it needs to be pretty and not that much. And that's actually, let's just be honest, that's why Ikea is so popular, right? Because Ikea specializes in decent looking stuff, minimalistic, but done at a good price. And therefore, we're like, that fits what beauty is. Friends, beauty is much more robust than that. And that's something that we as creatures are designed to see. This is how you are hardwired your DNA into what God is trying to do. You appreciate pretty things. True, and we understand that then corrupted that can be bad, but there needs to be an appreciation for for you and I to be able to say, this is something that I can look at and appreciate for how it looks because God has designed me to appreciate that. So beauty is something that we cannot discount. We see this in the creation of the temple because if you look at the temple, in some ways it was modeled for utility. So it was not a complex structure, but what Solomon did was he made sure that its amenities and its decorations were of such a quality that people would look at it and know that this building is ornate, not because we're trying to prove something, but because God is beautiful and we can appreciate that about him. So this is tough for me when I talk to people about church buildings, because often they want to flush funds into things that don't actually create this. What a good sacred space should do as you walk into it is find appreciation for it. And you know what's interesting? Whether through in Cincinnati, through religious buildings or through regular buildings, we have some great places here where you can walk in and appreciate the beauty of it. Like if at the very least, if you have never been to the museum at Union Terminal, which was one of the latest train stations ever designed. It is the largest half dome in the Western Hemisphere. You need to walk into that building, put in the background that this is the Hall of Justice, walk into the building, just look up and see how somebody envisioned this thing to come to reality. It is a space that was designed, not in utility, right? Like it's a train station. It did not need a massive dome. But somebody said, this is going to look well. And that building, I remember being like a young boy. I remember seeing that building and being amazed by it. I'm still amazed at it in my 40s. And when I'm dead and gone, that building will probably still be on the landscape here in our city. Why? Because somebody envisioned that beauty is a value. So as much as we want to discount it, right? Because again, we are utility people. Just stop to take a 
take just an appreciation of these places that are beautiful that make us feel all. Okay, that's what sacred space should do. We'll summarize this later. The second thing, though, I think is solemnity. A place for us to be solemn. A place for us to stop and contemplate. You know what I love about this space and worshiping here is that rarely am I in this space that it doesn't grab me and make me feel differently, right? Can I give you a little secret? Like back in the, you know, when I was the younger lead minister, church planner and stuff, this is not a guilt. Can I share with you? Like this is not guilt, but I used to wear shorts to church, which if you're wearing shorts, we want you to wear shorts to church. But it was like when I get up on stage, I'm like, I'm going to wear pants, And I don't know what it is about this room that makes me feel like I have to wear pants when I work at home and sometimes don't wear pants for days. For some reason, when I'm here, it feels like I ought to wear pants. Like, actually, I had a V-neck T-shirt, but I knew I was preaching today, and I met my mom for lunch, and I knew if my mom knew I wasn't wearing a collar to preach in, it would be bad. So I put this polo on just because it has a collar. I wore pants, and I'm here. Why? Because something feels different about being here, okay? Garrett, no judgment? Rock. Okay. I know you are. And Garrett, we love you for wearing shorts because I have guilt that I still need to deal with. But I want a room where I can feel solemn. Now, here's the thing. I hope that you are able to do this, whether in this room or other rooms. But one of the aspects of worship is not just for us to have rock and roll Jesus, right? Like, you know, we, sometimes we have pre-music and you know, it's like, we got to get some good pre-music to get people in and make them feel good. I mean, basically in Christian speak, it's like Imagine Dragons. You got to put the Imagine Dragons on. I know that they're Mormon, but stick with me in this thing because Imagine Dragons gives you your, you know, it's like rock music, but it's not going to be confrontational. So it's okay, I think with God. So you get that Imagine Dragons playing. It puts you in this right mood. You come in, but here's the thing is that as much as we want to have this resonance, if it doesn't bring us to a point of saying, I need to stop, I need to pause, I need to shut my mouth sometimes and just appreciate who the Lord God is and why he is massive and I am small. The best sacred spaces do that. It jars us. It's not, it's not a couch. It's not me sitting in front of my television or on my laptop. It is me being in a space where I have to stop and say that there's something bigger here than me. Good sacred space brings solemnity. First Kings chapter six. This is my, one of my favorite obscure stories in the Bible. Maybe you know it. Maybe it's not that obscure. But when they were constructing the temple, it was a job site. And what's very interesting is that from 3,000 years ago, we know the stones that King Solomon actually conscripted to have be in the temple because they still exist there on the site today. And some of the stones at the temple are as long as this stage, I kid you not. So they're like 20 plus feet long, weighing tons, okay? If you have a rock that big, you usually wanna make sure that it is put in place perfectly so you have all the measurements done right there on the job site. That's not how it worked when Solomon built the temple. Because he wanted to create a space of solemnity, all the work of preparing the stones, all the clatter, all the noise took place at a quarry far away so that no hammer or chisel or any other sound was heard as the temple site. But if you've been, I grew up in construction, and in addition to all the F-bombs that fly by the workers, I'm telling you, you never hear a quiet job site, but that happened when the temple was built. Why? Because that's a value of space that is sacred. 
And finally, sacred space needs to bring us to royalty. And again, within my triad work, because you know, I speak and you know, trying to do that, I put that at the apex of the triangle because again, that's what almost all church buildings are designed for us to do. This building is designed for you to look up. And I'm gonna give you the chance just to hit pause really quickly and uh, do, a, do a double take. So I want you to turn around and look at the window behind you, which is the most gorgeous thing in this church. And by the way, that's why you wanna preach at Echo because you get to stare at that all the time. But that window is designed specifically, well, let's be honest, a little utility to lend light but you could have brought light into this building in a different way. They wanted that window to be descriptive of what this room is supposed to do to you. It is supposed to make you look up and to understand that the king of the universe is enthroned in a place higher than we can even understand. It changes who you are. And yes, you're feeling quasi guilty for looking up right now, but go ahead because I ain't much to look at. And this is important. Because what sacred spaces do is make us understand our place in the kingdom of the universe. That there is one who is enthroned, who cares about all things, who makes it all go together. And yet, at the very same time, he knows you and he cares about you. You have access to the king of the universe. If you can walk in a room and feel that, then not only will you change you in the moment, it ought to change you in much more ways. This is what I love, 1 Kings chapter eight. When Solomon finished dedicating the temple, they brought in everything, they had the priests, and then a cloud came in and the priest could not complete the service because a cloud filled it. This was not incense cloud. This was not a powerful fog. This was indicative of the spirit of the Lord God coming into the temple. So understand this, as much as structures are supposed to make us feel something, the key to transformation is actually the presence of God inhabiting that and making it holy. So this was the problem I had as I went through Europe is I'm in these places and I see these buildings and I'm amazed by the architecture, but then I get a little misty eyed because I'm thinking about some spiritual lesson, some issue that I'm grappling with at the same time. And at the same time, there's a tour guide walking around explaining different things about why this statue is there and why this is there. And in some way it kind of limited me. I'm like, I, I felt sad and I, felt almost a little angry because I'm like, you're missing the point. You're missing the point because this building isn't beautiful just because it was designed architecturally, but there was a a thought, something that inspired that, that was much greater than the structure is. And that is the idea that at one day the structure will be filled with the people of God and they will see something here greater than even the architecture can describe. So it's not bad that it's beautiful. It's not bad that you walk in and you have to be quiet, but it's also key that the building stands for something much more than people see it is. And that's why I was saddened. And that's why I thought of us sitting here on Sundays in this beautiful 150 year old sanctuary. Because then I'm like, as much as I can see that and I don't always, how much do we see that collectively? How much do we see this as space that God has redeemed? It's not sacred because of why it was built. It's sacred because of what happens to it. 
And the biggest pride in my life, and by the way, it took us like three years to convince them to rent. And I could tell you that story sometime. I really believe God because it wasn't gonna happen. And it's funny, it wasn't gonna happen because there were some Christian people who weren't gonna be able to let it happen. But I really believe that the Lord moved so that we can be in this space. So we're in this space, that's great. But understand that this space in of itself is nothing unless what we do here is significant. And what we have to do is project to the king of kings who sits enthroned. So that's why as I look at this, I cannot reference it without bringing sacred space into the New Testament. This was the problem that I had in my course with the rabbinical student is that, well, because he, he, wasn't, he didn't believe in Jesus and that's a thing. He had a lot of wisdom, but then in talking about sacred space in his way of viewing things, it was different because we who believe in Christ we followers of Jesus have a lens of sacred space that is different than those of any other people of faith. And that is because this, is that we believe that when Jesus died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, and as he made the promise, I'm coming back for y'all, he said, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm leaving you the Holy Spirit. In many churches today, we struggle to talk about the Holy Spirit because we're like, okay, either it's making me do, you know, speak in tongues or maybe on the extreme handle snakes, right? So some of us are like, the Holy Spirit exists, we just don't talk about it like it's that, you know, uncle from another state. But understand that the Holy Spirit in your life plays a remarkable role if you're a follower of Jesus. One that, again, as a theologian, I don't understand it fully, but I'm okay with that because God doesn't want me to understand everything fully. What I do know, however, as I read the scriptures, is that when you become a follower of Jesus, Acts chapter two, the Holy Spirit embodies you, comes inside you. You're not possessed. So it doesn't determine your thoughts and actions, but it is in you. It's a sign of God's community, his communion with you. If you're a follower of Jesus, in you, you have the Holy Spirit. And more so than that, as the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians is trying to tell a really jacked up church how they need to correct themselves, he's trying to make them understand sacred space at a level that they never understood it. They understood sacred spaces. In the city of Corinth, there were myriad of pagan temples where you could go and worship, and their worship was not as saintly as ours. So that's why Paul is trying to correct them and say, look, you are misunderstanding the idea of sacred space. And in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God, you are not your own. So understand that the biblical sacred space now in Christ's kingdom is you. You are sacred space. When the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, It is not a structure that is sacred. Actually, by virtue of your presence in the structure, it becomes sacred. Now, some of you are like, I get that. Some of you are like, that weirds me out in this because we have guilt, right? I've sinned multiple times before coming up here just today. So how does imperfect me then become a temple? It's a flawed temple. And that's why you need to remember what happened with the first temple. Was the building perfect? Was it perfect even though no hammer or chisel was used on the job site? Was it perfect because it was beautiful? Was it perfect just because they said this is the temple of God? No, it was perfect when the cloud came in. And friends, when we follow Jesus, the cloud comes in. The space that you inhabit is sacred. You are the movable temple in the Old Testament known as the tabernacle. You're where God resides as you go about. So that even comes down to what we describe as church, right? Right? 
How did I say it specifically as I started in here? I was like, I've been gone from church for three weeks. The reality is I haven't been gone from church three weeks. I've been gone from meeting in a building where the church meets for three weeks. You're like, okay, that's some semantical play. You just need counseling. But understand that that's an important key aspect for followers of Jesus. As much as I love this room, you know, I work in getting churches into buildings. I doubt Echo will ever own a building, especially as much as we have this great space and a good relationship. We will be able to worship in this room for a long time, but maybe the day comes by when our Notre Dame happens, there's a fire and this is gone. It would be devastating. I would probably cry, but I would shake myself with the thought that it's okay. It's just a building it's not really sacred space. Sacred space is where you and I reside. And until we reformulate our lives in that, because that's transformational, friends, because then I don't just go to church on Sunday, I take the church with me everywhere I am. So when you're in class midweek, when you're with your family and friends, when you're at work with colleagues, maybe all people who you either adore or don't stand, it's church time, yo. You, you are God's temple. And by the way, this is why I bring this back, is that you then need to actually live it out in this way. Because what was that spectrum? The spectrum of utility. We're just like, does it work? Utility is important, right? We don't want to have a beautiful building with no seats and say this is a worship venue, although that's how they used to do it in the old days. They would stand the entire services. You're welcome for pews. It needs to be utilized it's about utility so in your temple life as you move around you need to be taking church to people all the time that should be reflected in your attitude that should be reflected in your heart friends it's the toughest thing i think we have in a digital society is that we can turn on the tv and we see horrible things and we're like well they deserve it because they put themselves in that situation we need to ask forgiveness for that We're taking Jesus and his church with us everywhere. We need to live today as if it matters. It matters. What you do this week matters immensely. And another thing then, it then also shows that it's not just for today, right? I'm not just trying to be a Jesus follower so I can get through life and get some brownie points so I look like a good Christian because there's something more with this. There's a timelessness. And in your being is a soul, what we believe to be as followers of Jesus, the only eternal thing about you. Nothing about you will last. None of your possessions will last, but your soul will live on for eternity. It's timeless. And the knowledge of that should change everything about what I do. Your sacred space. So then you have to ask yourself the question, what are you building? What are you building? This is like an in-betweener sermon. I don't know if this offers. So again, the nice thing about our church now is like, hey, we have speakers that are different speakers every week. So you might be like, I didn't like what Steve said at all. That's okay, give us another chance because I I won't be back here next week. Burke, you're excited about that, right? I'm sorry. But I really, and and by the way, this was completely inspired by what God was doing in my lives in the past couple weeks. Even if this has very little bearing on what you've been thinking about and struggling with, even though if this doesn't match up with your spiritual path, it's what I've just been grappling with personally. I hope some of you can walk along that with me. 
Because at every point in my life I, life, I have to ask myself, what am I building? What am I building, right? Am I building things in my life to make me happy today? I've got a 25th high school reunion coming up this year. Am I building up a brand persona so that when I walk in the doors, they're like, okay, Steve actually made something out of himself. Am I building up a CV, a resume to impress my family and friends? Or am I treating life as if I am sacred space, redeemed by the Lord, a place of God's dwelling, and that everywhere I go, the opportunity exists for Jesus to be proclaimed. I would just say, regardless of where you're at in this conversation, whether this speaks to you specifically or not, you need to ask yourself that question. What am I building? What are you building? Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. here. I thank you for sacred spaces like this building. We thank you that we have the chance to rent this. And as much as it can change our hour of worship every week, Father, do help us realize the words of your apostle Paul, that we are sacred space, that your spirit dwells in us. And because of that, that everything can be different. So as we go through the world, help us to notice things of beauty that point to you. Help us to have moments of solemnity where we stop and pause and appreciate the silence. And in all things, help us to lift our eyes up to acknowledge you, the king of the universe, enthroned. We're doing our best, Lord. Help us to see things within your eternal eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.